You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. A few months ago, a stingray got pregnant. Except there were no male stingrays in the tank, which raised a question. Who's the daddy? Who's the daddy? Who's the daddy? But scientists think... There is no daddy. And it's not just this stingray. All kinds of animals are getting pregnant all on their own. This week on Unexplainable, what exactly is going on here? Follow Unexplainable for new episodes every Wednesday. Mr. Burroughs was murdered brutally outside his home in Grundy County, Tennessee. And I believe the testimony and the evidence shown that he was essentially bludgeoned to death. By someone he knew, what were the circumstances of the attack? That is still a mystery. This is Judge Justin Angel. He's a circuit court judge in Tennessee's 12th District. According to trial testimony, shortly after 9 o'clock at night on January 7th in 2006, someone approached the home of Malcolm Burroughs in Tracy City, Tennessee. Malcolm Burroughs was a 60-year-old white man. He was home with his sister, Rebecca Hill, and her 33-year-old son, Kirk Braden, who was sleeping. According to Rebecca Hill, the man at the door was a young white man with red hair. He said he was having car trouble and needed help. He said his car was just up the road. Malcolm Burroughs and the man drove away together in Rebecca Hill's car. And then, the man returned to the house alone. Rebecca Hill said that when he came back, his facial expression was different. She said that his eyes, quote, didn't blink. They just stayed wide open. He told her that he'd come back for starter fluid. Rebecca Hill was looking for the starter fluid under the kitchen sink when the man hit her on her head with an object she thought might have been a bat or a rod. He hit her repeatedly. She yelled and woke up her son, Kirk Braden. According to Kirk Braden, he pulled the man off of his mother. They fought, and Kirk Braden said he chased the man out of the house and then went next door to call 911. Grundy County Sergeant Mike Brown received the call. He drove to Malcolm Burroughs' house and took statements from Rebecca Hill and Kirk Braden. They described their attacker and said he drove away in a gold car. Then, Rebecca Hill was taken to the hospital in an ambulance. Grundy County Sergeant Mike Brown had not seen a gold car, but he had seen a blue car on the side of the road not far from the house. He went to check it out. So I had walked around the car, didn't see anything, looked in the car. Then I noticed there was a path going up beside the car into the woods. So I walked back up in this trail about 50, 75 yards, 
and there lay Malcolm Burroughs, or who I assumed was Malcolm Burroughs. It was laying face down on the ground. And uh, I figured, well, I'd better identify him. So he had a big fat wallet in his back pocket. So I took the wallet out, and there was his driver's license, and I identified it as Malcolm Burroughs, put the wallet back. And at that point, I notified the sheriff and the TBI agent to come to the scene. The TBI is the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation. So uh, probably an hour, hour and a half passed by before they arrived. And once they arrived, I turned it over to them. So I didn't, there's not a whole lot of people in that county with red hair. So I went around all my snitches and asked, does anybody know anybody with red hair? Most of them didn't know anyone with red hair. So I come across this one person and they advised me that they used to sing in the choir down in Pelham with a a boy with red hair. And that turned out to be uh, Adam Brazil. So the next morning when I saw the sheriff, when I came on shift, I told him, I says, uh, I got a possible you know, subject with red hair. He's Adam Brazil lives in Estill Springs. We went to the house of his mother where he was living and knocked on the door. His mother answered the door and she says, can I help you? And I said, we're looking for Adam. Is he home? And I said, his, his pickup's out in the driveway. And uh, she goes, no, he's not here. I said, well, when's the last time you saw him? She goes, well, yesterday. So that put him away from home the night this occurred. I asked her, I said, well, what's he driving if his pickup's here? She goes, well, he's driving a uh, small gold car, my Honda. I said, okay. I'm with some friends and... I walk into my buddy's house and uh, we found out uh, his mom's telling me to call. Um, and so I called home and found out my mom was like hysterical and freaking out that uh, this guy Malcolm had been killed. But then right after that, she said that they think you said you had something to do with it. In January of 2006, Adam Brazil was 22 years old, working for UPS. He'd grown up in Grundy County, but since moved to a neighboring part of the state. He was back for the weekend to ride four-wheelers with friends. Adam remembers that his mother wanted him to stay where he was. She said she would come to him. She doesn't want me to leave. She's afraid if I leave that the the police will... Um, shoot me or something and say that I tried to escape or something crazy. She was really worried about that. Um, She got there. The officers followed her. And um, that's when it all began. We followed them to the police station. They asked me just a few questions. I give them my car. I give them my hat, my clothes, anything they asked for. Um, not only did I not do it, I didn't even know nothing about it. So I was definitely willing to help in any way I could. Um, basically that night, you know, they let me go and then they called me one day. I was at Walmart and they said, you come in or we're coming to get you. And so I, I, 
you know, I have nothing to hide. I'm, you know, I've been willing, I've been working, you know, I work with them the whole time. So here I go. I go up there. Well, that's when they, they arrested me. Well, when they arrested me, you know, that was a smack in the face. Um, it wasn't kind of working out like I thought it was going to work out. You know, here I am getting arrested for this now, not just getting accused. Um, it was very scary. You know, I wanted to pretend I was kind of tough. And so here all this is going on, and I'm thinking, man, this is crazy. It still hadn't registered, you know, the situation that I was in. Adam Brazil was charged with first-degree murder, felony murder, aggravated assault, and burglary. He told us, I was still thinking everything was going to work out. I'm Phoebe Judge. This is Criminal. Sergeant Mike Brown saw an article in the Grundy County Herald that Adam Brazil was going to trial. Just a few months after Malcolm Burroughs' murder, Sergeant Brown had retired. His wife passed away, and he decided to get out of Tennessee altogether and move to Florida. But he kept up with the news in Grundy County, and when he saw a newspaper story about the upcoming trial, he was surprised he hadn't been notified by the district attorney. So, he says, he called the DA himself. And I says, uh, I called the office and I said, do you need me up there for the trial? I says, I was the first one on the scene, found the body. I said, I'd come up with Adam Brazil. And uh, it was the receptionist, I guess, or the secretary in the office there. And uh, she put me on hold and she got back on. She says, no, the DA says they got it handled. You don't need to come up here. And I said, okay. The trial began in November 2007. Here's Adam Brazil. I'm actually excited to go to trial. I'm ready to get this over with, you know. No skeletons in my closet. And so let's do this. And the truth is going to, you know, it's, you know, it's going to, it's going to come out. Why would I have anything to worry about? We're, we're dealing with the justice system. I have nothing to hide. So I'm excited. Because there's no physical evidence connecting you to the scene. No DNA, no blood, no hair. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. There was no physical evidence linking Adam Brazil to the crime, but there were two witnesses who identified him as their attacker, Malcolm Burroughs' sister Rebecca Hill and her son, Kirk Braden. They first identified Adam Brazil in photographs shown to them, and they also identified him in the courtroom during the trial. Rebecca Hill pointed and said, he's right there. You'll never forget something like that if it happens to you. It's, it's humiliating to be sitting in that seat and being called a murderer and someone, you know, to be pointing their finger at you. It's like someone sitting there spitting in your face and you can't do nothing about it. One motive, as outlined by the state, was robbery. A TBI agent testified that when he arrived at the scene where Malcolm Burroughs' body was found, there was no wallet. This contradicted what Sergeant Mike Brown says he observed when he arrived on the scene and what he told us he documented in his police report. But Sergeant Mike Brown 
had not been invited to testify, even when he called the DA and volunteered. A different Sergeant Brown did testify, Sergeant Troy Brown from a different county. When the prosecutor asked how much he knew about the case, Sergeant Troy Brown responded, quote, a little. Apparently they got this Troy Brown and made it look like he was me. Sergeant Mike Brown. And he wasn't a deputy from our county. He was from the adjoining county. Had nothing to do with this case whatsoever, other than, from what I can understand, he, uh, the TBI had him watch Adam's house down there to see when Adam came back. But he never had anything to do with the crime up there or investigating it. What did you think when when you were were not invited to testify? Did you think that this was odd? Was this different oh, than? Oh yeah. Any- I thought it was very odd. After deliberating for about three hours, the jury found Adam Brazil guilty. He was convicted of first-degree murder of Malcolm Burroughs, an aggravated assault against Kurt Braden and Rebecca Hill. And what was the sentence? He was essentially sentenced to life in prison. And he was, I believe he was convicted at age... 24. He would not be eligible for parole for 51 years. By then, he'd be in his mid-70s. Um, you don't know what to do necessarily. You know what they're saying is not true. And I had hope that that truth would come out. And it wasn't the case. Adam Brazil was taken immediately into custody. And here I am in county jail for the first time ever spending a night in jail in my entire life. And that TV, that TV was on. And there was a commercial for, um, like, a fast food restaurant. And when I watched that commercial, it clicked in my head that I wasn't able to just get in the car and drive and go get that food. I knew at that time that everything had changed. I had no idea what we were going to do, how we were going to fix this. I just, I was depressed. I was unbelievably depressed. Adam Brazil appealed his conviction. He asked the appellate court to consider that there were no witnesses to the murder of Malcolm Burroughs and no physical evidence. His appeal was denied. He asked the Tennessee Supreme Court to look at his case. They declined. But he had another option. He filed for what's called post-conviction relief, arguing that he'd had ineffective assistance of counsel, unhelpful lawyers. He had exhausted his appellate rights at that time, so it came back in front of the circuit court, which I preside, uh, on a post-conviction matter, and he was requesting a new trial based upon ineffective assistance of counsel and some other grounds. So I was able at that time to delve into the case and to really dissect it and to determine whether or not I believed Mr. Brazil received a fair and constitutional jury trial, which was my job. My job was never to determine guilt or innocence in this case. It was simply to make sure that the constitutional provision set forth by our founding fathers was adhered to at Mr. Brazil's original trial. Did you see problems with his first trial? I did. 
It's rare that we get to speak to a judge on this program. When we approach them for interviews, they usually say no. Judge Angel remembers that he hadn't even heard the name Adam Brazil before the petition for post-conviction relief came across his desk in 2015. The only thing that tied Mr. Brazil to the case at all was the identification of him as a person who had red hair and a gold-colored vehicle. So in looking at the case, I found that he had no criminal history. He had Mr. Brazil, I'm speaking of, no history of violence, no connection to the deceased, no motive. Uh, he was found, there's no DNA evidence found upon him or his clothing or his vehicle. Uh, there was never any confession. He had an alibi, and he maintained his innocence throughout this entire process. So how did he get convicted? He was convicted upon the identifications of the two people inside the home. They were able to, um, through a photo lineup or a photo array, they were able to point out Mr. Brazil as the person who had attacked them. I found that there were some issues with that. Grundy County Sheriff Brent Myers testified that he'd been at his desk cutting out potential mug shots to use to create a photo lineup when Kirk Braden came in unannounced and pointed at the picture of Adam Brazil. The sheriff said he couldn't remember how the photos had been arranged on the desk or how many were face up and how many were face down. Rebecca Hill initially testified that she'd identified Adam Brazil when police visited her a day or two after she'd been released from the hospital. And then later, she said she'd been heavily medicated at that time. She later testified that she'd identified Adam Brazil in a photo lineup at the jail. The lineup she was shown contained photographs of eight men. Not everyone had red hair. One of them was Adam Brazil. I found that potentially the way and the manner in which the police presented those photo lineups were unconstitutional, and that still was debated. And also that at the trial, since that was the only thing that tied Mr. Brazil potentially to the case, that the issue of identification should have been vetted out. And the criminal defense attorneys that Mr. Brazil had at the time, and this is being an armchair quarterback, able to look at it through a different lens later. But since that was the only issue that linked Mr. Brazil to the uh, crime, I thought the identification aspect should have been um, highly sought out and brought up to the jury and explained thoroughly, and it simply was not at the jury trial. Did the prosecution have any other good evidence that Adam Brazil had done this? No. And the issues to me were quite glaring. And I delivered my opinion on Christmas Day of 2015. In that opinion, I did find that Mr. Brazil was denied his constitutional right to a fair trial. I set aside his convictions, and I ordered a new jury trial. In January 2016, Adam Brazil was released from prison. After more than eight years, he was free to go home and wait for a new trial. What was the first thing that you did when you got out? Um, 
I definitely hugged my mama. That was the first thing that I did. And then later that night, we all came to the house and uh, celebrated. Things were working out. That was some good days to have this incredible judge that come out of nowhere like a godsend. He saved my life. Ten months later, um, after Mr. Brazil is out of prison, the Court of Criminal Appeals um, released their opinion uh, based upon my decision. The state had, of course, appealed my ruling. And at that time, the Court of Criminal Appeals essentially agreed with my findings but disagreed with my conclusions. They acknowledged that there may have been some issues at the trial, but the standard for them on review was whether or not it would have made a difference at trial. They made the decision that it would not have. And so they reversed my decision and ordered Mr. Brazil to be put back in prison to serve his sentence. I was gonna was I was gonna spend the day with my mom and gonna take her to the doctor and go out to eat and the knock on the door, look through the peephole and these this individual was dressed up like a bounty hunter and I thought, oh no, what's this? And I opened the door, um, and he said, Adam, you're gonna have to come with me. Support for Criminal comes from Astapro, who also provided us with free samples. This is my favorite time of year, even though I've had terrible allergies all my life. My mother says she always knew when I was up in the morning because she'd hear me sneeze and say, Phoebe's up. I think the most I've ever sneezed in a row is 48. It's like my nose is in control and I'm just along for the ride. Astapro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. It starts working in just 30 minutes, so you can get on with your day and be out in the sun comfortably. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount. That's A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Support for Criminal comes from Quince. It's spring, and you might be in the mood to get rid of some clutter. A good place as any to start is your wardrobe. Having just a few high-quality, timeless pieces of clothing feels a lot better than a closet full of stuff you're not that thrilled about. You can get some of those well-made essentials from Quince. Quince is a brand that offers luxury clothing essentials at reasonable prices. They have a wide variety of items, like 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters, organic cotton sweaters, washable silk tops, and 14-karat gold jewelry. All of Quince's stuff is affordable. In fact, they're priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They're able to do that because they partner directly with top factories. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com criminal for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash criminal to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash criminal. What a horrible thing to think that you're free and then to get a call one day saying, just a joke, you're going back. I can't even imagine. Judge Angel had granted Adam Brazil's petition for post-conviction relief, but the state appealed 
and the higher court sided with the state. They reversed Judge Angel's ruling, and in October of 2016, Adam Brazil was sent back to prison. From Florida, now retired Sergeant Mike Brown, the officer who was the first on the scene, was watching all of this in disbelief. He knew he was the reason that Adam Brazil was ever considered during the investigation, and he knew that the state's claim that it was a botched robbery hinged on the absence of a wallet. They said there was no wallet on the body, and one of the motives was robbery. But the wallet was there. It was on the body. When you first got to that crime scene, did you make a written record anywhere of the wallet? Oh, yes, I did, of course. But my record disappeared along with all the other records. When Malcolm Burroughs was murdered in 2006, the sheriff of Grundy County was Brent Myers. Under his watch, all of the documents pertaining to the case allegedly disappeared. Clint Shrum is the current sheriff and has been vocal about how strange he thinks it is that there are no records. When I took office in 2014, he said, all I found was a pencil. Where do you think the wallet went? I don't know. I wasn't involved in it other than that night and the next day. That Because because I wasn't an investigator, I wasn't a detective, I was a, a road sergeant. So do you think that the Grundy County, that the Grundy County Sheriff's Office fell down on the job or the TBI fell down on the Both job? Both of them. Both of them. Both of them. It just totally got out of hand. I mean, the, the investigation stopped right there. They didn't look for anybody else. You know, he had red hair. He wasn't at home at the night this happened. It was just like, okay, we got our guy right here. That That's the end of it. Do you feel guilty about the whole thing? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's why I felt I owed him a heck of an apology. I mean, it just ruined his whole life just because he had red hair. It's kind of rare to hear a police officer say what you're saying. Oh, yes. I mean, it's disgusting what happened here. Sergeant Mike Brown says he felt so guilty that he felt compelled to become more involved in Adam Brazil's legal effort. He was contacted by a blogger named Dave Sale. He goes by the name DK Sale. And Sergeant Brown agreed to come forward with what he knew and to make himself available to Adam Brazil's lawyers. D.K. Sale had begun writing about the Malcolm Burroughs case on his own website. He blogged about the two Sergeant Browns and about the missing case files. D.K. Sale says it was common knowledge around Grundy County that Malcolm Burroughs was a drug dealer who sold pain pills. Everyone knew about it. Malcolm Burroughs had a 2003 felony conviction for selling prescription drugs. The Tennessean newspaper described Burroughs as having, quote, no shortage of friends and enemies. But Malcolm Burroughs' criminal history was not brought up at trial as relevant. Adam Brazil's family was doing everything they could to get his case in front of a judge again, 
especially his sister, Christina Brazil. And then, Adam and his family learned about a new piece of physical evidence, a fingerprint. They were able to take one fingerprint from Mr. Burroughs' vehicle. The fingerprint was on the inside of a door handle on the, I believe it was the passenger side of the vehicle. At the time, the TBI was, that's the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation, they were unable to find a match for that fingerprint. So that unidentified fingerprint sat in a file for years. Then every so often, every couple of years, the TBI receives new computers, new software, new capabilities to search those prints and run them through new databases. At that time, a TBI agent happened to open this file, saw that there was an unidentified fingerprint, ran the fingerprint through their system, and finally they received a hit. The hit came back on somebody who was not Adam Brazil. The fingerprint matched a man by the name of Kermit Bryson, and Kermit Bryson lived in Grundy County. Uh, Kermit Bryson had some sort of loose connection um, with the deceased. Kermit Bryson uh, is now deceased himself because a few years after the trial, uh, he um, allegedly uh, murdered a sheriff's deputy and then went into the woods and took his own life. Mr. Kermit Bryson also had red hair, and his girlfriend drove a gold-colored vehicle at the time of Mr. Burroughs' homicide. The TBI had actually matched the print more than a year before. Adam Brazil's attorney, Alex Little, told reporters that he didn't know why the DA didn't come forward with the results immediately. I can't tell you why they withheld this obvious key evidence from us, he said. Maybe some people who do this job feel they can't make mistakes. In February of 2019, Adam Brazil's legal team filed a petition announcing they had new evidence. The fingerprint match and also the fact that Malcolm Burroughs' wallet had been found on his body the night of the murder. A hearing was set for June 26th. 2019, Judge Angel presided. The defense uh, for Mr. Brazil were able to present that evidence. They were able to prove to the court that the wallet was found on Mr. Burroughs' deceased body and that the defense did not um, know about this and that that deputy was never called to the stand to testify about this at any proceeding in the case. We also found out that the fingerprint did match Mr. Kermit Bryson, and there was testimony entered of photographs that showed Mr. Bryson at the time of the homicide uh, in a side-by-side comparison with Mr. Brazil, and they looked similar. They both were almost the same built, same skin tone, both had the red hair, and uh, they matched each other. Even a TBI agent who testified for the state testified that they looked alike, that Mr. Brazil and Mr. Bryson did look alike. And there was also new evidence that was presented that after the homicide and before his suicide, Mr. Kermit Bryson confessed to a friend that he was the one that actually killed Malcolm Burroughs. Three hours into the hearing, the DA asked for a 10-minute recess. Ten minutes turned into hours of discussion between Adam Brazil's defense team and the district attorney. And I received word that that I needed to take the bench, so I took the bench. At that time, it was announced to me that 
a deal, essentially a settlement had been reached. And what was the settlement? Essentially, the state of Tennessee conceded the murder conviction and murder charge against Adam Brazil and dismissed it. They also dis- dismissed one of the assault charges against Mr. Brazil. However, they asked Mr. Brazil to plead to an Alfred plea, which is a best interest plea, to one of the assault charges. In exchange for that, Mr. Brazil would be released from prison that day. By taking the Alfred plea, Adam Brazil acknowledged that there was potentially enough evidence to convict him on a lesser charge of aggravated assault. Doesn't that seem kind of wild, that Alfred stuff? You know, so clear that this is just to save face or something. You know, doesn't it seem a little wild to you? I can't critique the law, and I can't critique the process. I've taken an oath to uphold the law, and it's a provision that uh, is applicable in our courts. Um, Sometimes it's used properly, and sometimes it isn't. Essentially what it is is uh, you're accepting the fact that if the state were able to present their evidence at trial, it could result in a conviction, and you're conceding that without admitting any guilt. And that's what Mr. Brazil did in order to secure his freedom that day. So were you the one who was able to say, Mr. Brazil, you're free to go? Yes. Um, after I accepted that effort plea, I was able to then order that he be released that the shackles be removed from him, and that he's declared a free man. What was the look on his face? Well, you could tell that he was—he didn't know what to think. He was, in, he was happy. He was in shock. I think he was frustrated by the Alfred plea and having to do that in order to be released from prison that day. But I believe he even said, thank you for being a just judge, and that meant a lot to me. You know, even though things worked out for Adam in the end, he did serve an awful long time in prison. He lost a lot. He was put through the ringer when he was taken back to prison. I mean, I I know you probably can't answer this, but we have all of these rules and regulations and laws in place. I wonder if a case like Adam Brazil's makes you question the legal process a bit. Mr. Brazil spent from age 24 to 36 incarcerated. And I think about all the things that I was able to experience and enjoy during that time frame of my life, you know, as far as uh, getting married and having a child and getting uh, through law school, getting elected as a judge, just all the things that I was able to experience uh, during that time frame that he uh, essentially was robbed of. And there are mistakes that are made and I want to do everything I can to keep these types of mistakes from ever happening again, anywhere, especially in my district and in the state of Tennessee. According to the National Registry of Exonerations, there have been 2,549 exonerations in the United States since 1989. And as they calculate, these exonerees have collectively lost more than 22,000 years. They find that African Americans are seven times more likely to be wrongfully convicted of murder than white people, and 12 times more likely to be wrongfully convicted of drug possession. Analyzing the factors that contribute to wrongful convictions, 
The National Registry of Exonerations finds that the leading factor is perjury, or false accusation, followed by official misconduct. Wrongful convictions are terrifying. I think that everyone has nightmares about someone saying you've done something that you didn't and no one believing you as loud as you say, it's not me, it's not me. It must be a night. Don't you think that's a nightmare? I mean, for yourself, you're a judge, you've, but you're a human being too. What a, what a nightmare situation. It is a nightmare. It should be a nightmare for any judge, any prosecutor, any defense attorney, any person who's in law enforcement, any any innocent American citizen. Uh, if if, it, if the system is not safe for your neighbor and for your fellow man, it's not safe for you. Have you spoken with Adam Brazil since? I have. So that decision and hearing where I released him was on a Friday. Uh, the following Monday, I was able to stop by his family's home in Pelham, Tennessee, and meet with him and essentially apologize to him. He got out of the truck, and uh, he walked up. He shook my hand. We hugged. I asked him, I said, well, what do I call you? Do I call you your, your honor or, um, you know, Judge Angel? And he called. He said, call me Justin. And um, we went over and sit down, and and he apologized on behalf of the justice system for what had been done to me and my family because he knew nobody else was going to apologize. And uh, I really respect him. My words um, will never be able to explain the gratitude that I have for this man and his decision. Adam Brazil has been out of prison for six months now. He spent a third of his life behind bars, and he says sometimes he still can't believe that he's out. And to be able to, like the, on the way over here, I was in a traffic jam, and I was running a little late. I could have panicked. I could have. I could have found. Uh, I could have felt anxiety, and I did for a moment. But then I thought, I'm so thankful to have the opportunity to to get stuck in a traffic jam when I get lost in Nashville when I'm in Nashville, or you know, it's the same perspective. I lost my keys, speaking of the car again, I lost my keys the, the other day, and uh, I was so thankful for the opportunity to have a car and to have the opportunity to lose my keys. And it's just a unique perspective on life now that I have. Yeah. And um, I'm having the best days of my life out here. Well, I want to thank you very much for taking the time and sitting in traffic and coming to talk with us. Your story is really incredible, and uh, we were so happy to speak with you and to speak with Judge Angel, and we'll be very happy to, to put this all together. All right. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Criminal is created by Lauren Spohr and me. Nadia Wilson is our senior producer. Susanna Robertson is our assistant producer. Audio mix by Rob Byers. Julian Alexander makes original illustrations for each episode of Criminal. You can see them at thisiscriminal.com, where you can also subscribe to our newsletter, The Accomplice.
We're on Facebook and Twitter at Criminal Show. Criminal is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. We're a proud member of Radiotopia from PRX, a collection of the best podcasts around. I'm Phoebe Judge. This is Criminal. Radiotopia. The Current Podcast is back with an exciting new season featuring marketing executives from the world's most influential brands. Tune in to hear what's driving conversation in the fast-moving world of digital advertising with unique insights from brands as diverse as Hilton, Instacart, Moderna, Major League Soccer, and more. And in this presidential election season, The Current explores what a national political advertiser like the National Republican Senatorial Committee and a major CPG brand like Hershey can learn from each other. Listen in and subscribe to The Current at thecurrent.com or wherever you get your podcasts.